1: This is My Kind of Weird, a podcast where two people swap and pitch three kinds of media, something watchable, something readable, and something listenable, to see if each other says at the end, that's my kind of weird. I'm your host, Anthony Pollack, and joining me today is creative director of indie game studio Dragon Bear Studios, Paulina Sammy. Hello. Paulina, are you ready to get weird with me?
0: I definitely am.
1: All right, Paulina, present your something watchable.
0: Okay, so I would like to present um, from Netflix uh, Way of the House Husband.
1: So if you imagine a tired and, uh, I guess,
0: you know. Heartworthy uh, yakuza boss has decided to retire and <laughs> embrace the life of a house husband um, in Japan, which, as you can imagine, is very common. And I'm being, totally being sarcastic, it's very uncommon. Yes, yes very. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, what's really great about him is he just really takes the the yakuza way of life uh so seriously that you know he t- he takes it through everything he does so it's it's actually like to t- to like high level summarize it's this hilarious deadpan comedy based on this really popular ma- manga by Kusuke Uno which i hope i said that right um which is like massive in japan i think it had sold over 1.2 million copies and wow um just massive. And I think the fans are very, very, uh, you know, hardcore. And so I was really excited to watch this. I'm just trying
1: to imagine (laughs) hardcore house husband fans.
0: (laughs) Manga fans. Right. Um, and so like this, this the whole concept is just so wild because it's just so Mm. metal, like that the opening sequence Mm. is this guy's back, totally ripped covered in muscles and then like wearing an apron (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, holding this um, samurai sword and using it to like, I don't know, make uh, cake or something. Um, yeah. and it's, it's just actually the like one of the top two funniest things I've ever watched in my whole life. Um, yeah gosh it's just so deadpan and he's just so just another thing i guess i'd say is in the english adaptation um the mm. voice actor is um i can't remember his name but he's the same voice actor that plays legacy in beast stars uh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. so he's yeah. just
0: like got the sexiest voice in the whole world the whole mm. world um mm. and Man, is that fraught with problems <laughs> <that the entire laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that boy. that is a whole different kettle of fish but um yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> one to unpack um, in another episode perhaps
0: <laughs> i think so i i think it's a very interesting anime um yeah yeah so, so my pitch for this one is that like what if yes um a yakuza a yakuza husband took on the duties of you know home care as seriously as he does you know anything in the clan and just like you know the, the care and attention to detail and just in the, one of the episodes he, he fails to do something or he perceived himself to fail to, to do this really simple like cake or something. I, I forget exactly. And then, so he pulls out his samurai sword and offers his pinky to his wife. <laughs> <laughs> like, and she's like, no, I'm not going to cut off your pinky. It's not a big deal. It's fine. And <laughs> I just, it's just amazing. And I and there's so many interesting things about it. So like I love the way it's reimagining and redefining masculinity, actually. Mm. Right? It's it doesn't yeah. matter what you do, it's how you do it. And everything that he does as a house husband he does so seriously and you know, he'll wear the apron and he'll, he'll make the birthday decorations and the cake and everything, but he'll do it with like everything, like every single fiber of his being is on the line. And I'm like, yes, um, that is, that is the coolest yeah. thing about masculinity. Like, I don't know. as Obviously there's a lot about masculinity, but, and not caring what other people think. And you're just trying to serve, like serve your family in the way that you decide to like, isn't that so honorable?
1: <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but it's quite all it, but, um, It's kind. It's really surprising. Just the whole premise is. uh, I mean, because I feel like at least my understanding of Japanese culture is. I feel like masculinity is so wrapped in Mm. in a tight tight bow with uh, Japanese nationalism as well.
0: Mm. So it's just
1: kind of one of those just really hard. I just feel like hard molds to break for this to for it to be doing what it does. In this, I feel like it's quite incredible mm. that this is a success, let alone um, existing.
0: <laughs> I agree. Like if anything could buck the standards of, of these gender roles and how they are still pervasive and still so strong in society in Japan, like it would yeah. be this, right? Like, Yeah. Um, and I think that what else is really cool about it, like so yeah, I love that meta thing of like, yeah, this is actually a dialogue about all the things that women do. And they try so hard that men possibly don't notice or their husbands might not notice or their partners or, or whatever gender they are. And I think that that's a really nice meta thing as well of like, and I, so I think Anthony that it's probably a, a wet dream for millions of wives in, Jap- in Japan, like just huge, like, so, <laughs> so, for example, I, um, I showed my sister this and she was just enthralled and I don't want to say too much about my sister and her husband, but you can imagine she was just like, this is so amazing. <laughs> Because <laughs> even in Western society, you don't really see this explored. I think like this anyway.
1: No, not like this. Mm. I mean, we just released horrible TV shows called <laughs> House Husbands and, that are just absolute <laughs> trash. But um, Gosh. no, n- not in this um in this way. Um, it it does release sort of a interesting narrative. That mm. um, so firstly, does does the main character does he succeed in being a yakuza turned house husband?
0: I, I think he does.
1: Okay, so the interesting narrative there is men need to be, you know, part of the Yakuza in order to be mm. decent at, at house chores. <laughs>
0: i I think it's i I don't think it's quite like that it's definitely showcases his failings and his journey and like how he does not succeed all the time but and he like he gets stopped by the cops all the time when he's trying to deliver lunch in in like a a hilariously shady briefcase which is still what he normally would take anywhere but people Mm. think it has drugs in it but it just has cake in it like Mm. i love the um yeah just this take on the perspective of what you expect this to happen but it's not um so I think that it's not he doesn't succeed every time and I think another really thing that I admire about it is it actually does talk about the PTSD in a way
1: okay
0: from like not in a heavy way which is I think really useful like you know, like the PTSD of all the the hard things he's done as the Yakuza boss. <laughs> 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 like, for example, um, he has to babysit a kid at one point and he has no idea what he's doing. He's like pulling out all these yeah. like poker games, and the kid's just like, This is the weirdest thing. Um yeah. and then the kid breaks a toy, so and it's his like wife's favorite toy, and he's just totally shattered. So he takes the kid to the backyard and they do a burial procedure. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just so metal and so Yakuza, but like <laughs> <laughs> the values of that, right? Like, we got to take ownership and responsibility for what we did.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, okay. So, my something watchable mm-hmm. is Tresse which is a Filipino uh, comic series. Apparently
0: the train broke down over the Guadalajara bridge. Service crew found it like this. Lots of blood, no bodies. And a pile of missing
1: persons reports. Greetings, young Tracy. Good evening, Nuno. There was a time when
0: magic in the world was a natural part of life. That age has passed. People fear what they don't understand. That's why our family has always been
1: the bridge between mankind and the supernatural. Which has been adapted into an anime, uh, a Netflix anime, uh, which is, uh, I believe, just came out last week, um, which will be two weeks as of this being aired. I don't know why we call podcasts being aired anymore, but that is what it is. Um, So Tressé is this fantastic sort of exploration of Filipino folklore and myth sort of uh, reimagined into uh, sort of of like a Constantine Sandman sort of... uh, anime series it's it stars this uh it's uh stars this female protagonist um uh Alexandra Tresse, who basically has the uh she's like a healer slash warrior who serves as the protector to humanity and sort of treads the fine line of between the um working with supernatural beings like Demons and orcs and goblins and all those sorts of things, and also uh, the fine line of humanity. So she very much uh, uh, she she is a sort of a strong character archetype, which uh, spends a lot of her time trying to sort of um, be that bridge where there's unexplained sort of. Uh, Uh, deaths and things like that in the Philippines that she investigates and pretty soon she starts to figure out that there's a sinister plot which is you know in typical sort of uh, comic book or manga or anime form it's going to be about the end of the world so uh, she has to do what she can to try and stop that from happening so it's lots of fun the voice acting is superb the animation on it is just top-notch and I binged it um, in all of three hours because there's only six episodes so gosh I say for that um, it's it's really impressive and if it doesn't get renewed it's one of those uh, I mean obviously sad face but if it doesn't get renewed it's sort of Self-contained in those six episodes. So if you were a hard, hardcore sort of Tresno fan and were into the comic and all those sorts of things, I don't know that you would be as disappointed as you could be.
0: It Just in terms of like the closure, because you've already the known closure. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: the The story is very self-contained. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's there's lots. Of, it doesn't shy away from the fact that it's uh, Fili- Filipino inspired. It's not whitewashed at all. In fact, uh, even the the only sort of white passing character in it is um, has a Spanish accent because obviously a lot of people in the Philippines, you know, being you know, Mm. in colonized
0: sorry colonized by (laughs) yeah yeah
1: by the Portuguese and all that type of stuff. Obviously, it doesn't. So the white passing characters in it aren't necessarily white as such. So I kind Mm. of liked that it just kind of. Went whole hog into the into what the story is, how it was influenced, and pushing out those influences into into sort of a demographic, which um, can uh, I mean, there's a lot of white people that watch anime and stuff like that. So I I find that quite inspiring.
0: That looks really interesting. Is it very gory?
1: Um, I'd like to say no, but. I've kind of, I feel like I'm a little bit desensitised by uh, it all. Um, okay. I wouldn't say, um, I guess sort of my benchmark for comparing anime violence is it's not as violent as Ninja Scroll, but okay. then it there is violence in it but um, and there is a bit of gore, but, I mean, when it's sort of, Magical or sort of supernatural kind of like
0: Fantasy goblins violence. and yeah. demons
1: being, you know, cut in two by like a samurai sword. Is it really gore? It's, you know, it's hard, <laughs> to, hard to sort of make that determination. Cool. All right. Um, present your something readable.
0: Okay. I really struggled with this one because I read a lot of books. Um, and I've been tossing up between um, Jemison, which I'm a really big fan of, and um, Naomi Novik. But I'm just going to go with Naomi Novik today because I thought I really like this pitch I want to give to you. So um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Deadly Education. And it's a book by Naomi Novik who did um, Uprooted and Spinning Silver, um, which are books I really, really love. Um, Anyway, the premise (laughs) is what if Harry Potter was really, really fucking dark? Go on. So... Say it would be like Harry Potter, except the main character is, you know, a bloodline Slytherin that was trying to be good.
1: I mean, isn't that the back (laughs) half of Harry Potter anyway?
0: I I guess, but, like, um, in a bit of a flip, instead of the kind of hero's journey where you, like, you learn spells and you get more powerful as you go. What if you started off maximum powerful, but all your spells are really, really evil and super destructive and it's very difficult to coexist in a school (laughs) without blowing everyone Uh up? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also a a note about the school, instead of it being a friendly Hogwarts, there's no teachers. It's kind of a living hell. You only kind of Uh get by by like... Creating political strategies to, I guess, get allies. Um, and you, the only ways out is to graduate or die.
1: <laughs> right. Okay.
0: Metal. Very metal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's nothing more metal than that.
0: <laughs> and. It's kind of like a teen slash adult fic, probably more teenish. But I I don't really like teen fiction because I guess it, it feels very, very young. It didn't feel like that in this one. And I definitely felt like the book read itself, which was a really weird feeling and definitely goes with that whole Harry Potter vibes of like the book is alive and it, it read me rather than I read it, if that makes sense. Um, so the, the protagonist is this um, half Indian woman um, and she she's just really struggling with fitting in and how powerful she is and she doesn't want anyone to know how powerful she is because that would make her a threat and she has this like friend who is in a way the most hilarious like white male savior complex character you've ever met but he really doesn't mean to be. (laughs) (laughs) and so she does all these things and because she wants everyone to know that she's you know really cool because no one really likes her and she hasn't made friends yet and then he just comes along and accidentally steals her thunder every single time um and, and gets credit for all of it and i don't know i just really enjoyed this book i definitely um uh would recommend it um and i also just love how it's kind of the anti harry potter vibe about it like what if Harry Potter was really good and well-written and actually, like, showcased strong women characters is my hypothesis to you.
1: I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to weigh in on Harry Potter just mm. because I've only seen the movies.
0: Right. So I don't,
1: and I understand just as much as everyone else has read sort of uh, an IP that then gets translated into film, mm. that there's always missing parts, that there was, I mean, the last sort of two films, I feel like they will trying to fit so much of that last book in that Mm. it just got, it became a bit of a mess. So, yeah, I don't know with Harry Potter. I feel like the first three films of Harry Potter are exceptional. Like, they're just really good. They're great classics that you can watch them again and again and again. But I feel like as you started to get more into the epic of, you know, the Voldemort versus Harry Potter epic, it became... Like, almost like they, they went off track a little bit.
0: Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with you there. I, I also, I read the first five books and I loved them as a child. Um, I also, I watched the movies, but I, I kind of stopped after like movie five or something because I just felt like this is derailed I agree exactly that it totally derailed um and I also just kind of upon reflection now I guess later on uh, many years after reading I feel like yeah it was very boy centric like I I kind of wished for more from you know one of the most famous female authors in the world um and all the the women characters very much disappointed me Um, (laughs) I guess except Hermione which was like you know a bit overpowered in some ways um but yeah, I guess it was just that, and I guess all of the stuff that's happening around J.K. Rowling and um, Turfy stuff, uh, which
1: yeah, yeah. which taints my I relationship. Was wondering with who the, was going to bring that up? First, yeah, and
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't know how I feel about it anymore after all that stuff.
1: Yeah, it's uh, so I feel like char- uh, sorry authors that introduce or just writers in general that introduce like brazenly feminist characters like. Hermione, for instance mm. which she basically is. she's trapped inside the body of you know like a 10-, 10, 10, 12 year old girl um, <laughs> at the start she from there they established that but as there becomes sort of a love interest for the other character for the other character uh, like male characters normally they they sort of lose that character loses themselves in mm. that other character which i don't necessarily agree with um i don't see why that the what the core motivations of that character or what they what she likes dislikes um what makes her get up in the morning why that needs to change just because she likes this dude over here or this girl or that person over there i don't see why that should have to change it just it just doesn't make any sense to me like um like you can look at like uh, Lois Lane with you know Superman, very um, go-getter, career-driven woman. But then as soon as she falls in love with the Superman, it's just you know all bets are off. You know, it's she yeah, becomes I, a
0: plot device basically <laughs> for him to much. rescue. And, her. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I've had this discussion with with other people, um, and they're just like, oh well, she's still strong and empowering, but. Is she? If she's all she's doing, and like you're saying, Paulina, she's a plot device just to involve Superman in saving her. Is that really what um, a feminist is? Is that really what a strong woman is? Like, (laughs) like in, shouldn't she be able to get herself out of said scenario? Isn't she smart enough to not get? Captured by the fucking bad guy in the first (laughs) place, you know? It's just...
0: Every single week? Like, come on. (laughs) Should she get get frequent flyer miles with that or something? I don't know. Um, I I agree. Like... (laughs) And not to say that, like, a feminist woman will be able to have all the answers by herself, but she should do no. some, you know, any type of collaborating with anyone to make this, uh, I don't know, Monster of the Week stuff really bores me, to be honest. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, at the same time as well, the whole um, ju- a sort of justification of someone's personality and about around what a man is and likes and all that type of stuff, I just don't engage with it anymore mm. and not because I identify as a feminist uh, because I don't necessarily. Um, I'm more centrist when it comes to that sort of discussion. I'm obviously pro-women's rights and all that type of stuff but it's more about I feel like no one should really lose themselves in another person. Yeah, you, you can fall in love, you can you can uh, have your happy yet. Uh, after, but why should you and who you are change for that person?
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Like, you're right, basically after the, like, fifth book or whatever, it all just got really watered down and and overwhelming and, and, I don't know, I didn't really enjoy the writing after that, so... And I think think that's one thing I did really like about this book is that there is a romance, but it's kind of like a not romance. Like it's just there's a bit of intrigue and there's a bit of stuff, but it's not the main focus, and I think that's more exciting because romances can be, as you say, they can be all-consuming in literature and uh, lose the whole point of the book.
1: Yeah, very true, very true. All right, so my something readable is Shadow Man uh, well, we'll talk about issue one. Um, so it's the recently sort of released iteration of Shadow Man through Valiant Entertainment, uh, written by horror writer Cullen Bunn, who has worked on Venom, uh, for those Marvel Comics people listening at home, and uh, John Davis Hunt, who I believe he's done a fair bit of uh, work over at DC Comics. So um, did you ever play, as a someone who works in gaming, uh, Paulina, did you ever play the Shadow Man game?
0: Um, I didn't, actually. Um, okay. No, not that specific one.
1: Okay, no worries. So it's basically a Jack Boniface, a.k.a. Shadow Man, is this sort of this powerful protector who keeps humanity safe from the demons that sort of are trying to kind of claw their way through um reality, space, time, all that type of stuff. Um, It's uh, very, it sort of leans into the sort of, um, I guess, the folklore of um, uh, things like, um, I've lost lost the, um, what is it? It's... uh, voodoo, voodoo magic and witchcraft and things like that, so it leans a lot into that, um, which is nice, uh, which is lots of fun. Um, It also is, uh, again, very, uh, at least this iteration of the character is almost... Constantine-ish, so it seems to be a bit of a theme with what I'm pitching here. So sorry about that. <laughs> yes. um, but the the artwork is uh, visceral. It's it's uh, very uh, metal. It's it's um, very gory in parts too, but appropriately gory when you see things like. Um, Uh, uh, demon virus infected humans blowing up and all this type of fun stuff so it's um it's very it's very dark as well um but appropriately dark at the same time and it's taken a character that is in the past been very superhuman into more of a sort of anti-hero sort of uh shtick so lots of fun
0: awesome interesting um the I was just googling the picture, then it kind of reminds me of Slenderman a little bit.
1: Okay, Slenderman, right, right. Um, uh, yes, all, all Maybe hail, all hail um, uh, So say so we all. Um, uh, uh, man, that's a uh, wow. That's uh, we're really showing our age now, aren't we? Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh dear. That's a okay. game. Um, Okay, so um, Paulina, present your something listenable.
0: Okay, I also struggled with this. Actually, Anthony, the task that you gave me to choose three types of media was so difficult. Like, <laughs> gosh, oh really? Like, just to try and choose three. There's so, the world is so big. It's very, it's very hard. But it's a cool exercise in itself. Um,
1: well. You know, we only have an hour. That's so. true. That's
0: true. So I tossed up between like three things: um, Forest of the Piano, which is not actually listenable. It's an anime that I listen to. It's really pretty. It's a class if you like mm-hmm. classical music. And I also tossed up between my dad wrote a, wrote a porno, which I don't know if you've heard that one before. Oh
1: yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the one where this British guy like came across like yes. some erotica in his dad's basement or something, and
0: he <laughs> I think his dad published it. Over it. Yes. Oh, I
1: published it. Oh, okay. Right,
0: if you right. if you ever want to hear the worst erotica you've ever heard, um, definitely listen to that. Um, right, right. Um, How does that one
1: work? He, like, reads out, like, a, a chapter each episode or something, doesn't he? Or it, he does. Right? Or, and it's just
0: kind of like if some guy in your, in your 50s who imagines what corporate life is but has no idea tried to write mm. an erotica and, like, tried to mix in this really weird fantastical idea of what business life is like with hilariously strange metaphors like I don't know her breasts hung like pomegranates is a thing that he he literally <laughs> says. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: I didn't even know pomegranates hung.
0: <laughs> it's just the um, wrong shape. It's just everything's wrong yeah. with that metaphor. And I think that's what's yeah. really funny about it is all the metaphors are so whack in this mm. um, podcast. But anyway, that's not the one I'm going to mm. pitch to you. Um, mm. I, was instead- I guess it'd be
1: as bad as his, his <laughs> testicles were as supple as ripe grapes.
0: <laughs> yeah, and like the, the strangest proportion in that imagery, right? And mm. But yeah. Mm. yeah. Anyway, I well,
1: we don't want testicles that small.
0: Um, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. I don't know. I'm really. I, I, anyway, know
1: I keep interrupting. <laughs> no, that's, that's
0: okay. It's okay. It's very, like, it's definitely a funny and strange thing. Um, so, but in that, Lou, I thought maybe I'd actually talk about um, a podcast called Wonderfully Done. Hello, sweet bean. Welcome to Wonderfully Done, a wholesome show about sex, communication, and loving yourself. Presented to you with love by me, Lauren. And her fabulous friend Victoria, which of course is me. Hello again, it's truly. Which is um, by Lauren Clinic and Vix, who are actually two of my friends from the games industry. Um, Oh, nice. Yeah, um, but I was. It's kind of started up during the pandemic as a way of, I guess, trying to connect with people and and create connection during that really difficult, the first um, like wave of lockdown. And it's this really like wholesome and truthful. I guess, honest, barefaced even, like, podcast where it's audience-driven in the sense that you send questions and then the Mm. hosts talk about it, about, like, sex and self-love and communication.
1: Right, yeah.
0: Um, And there's a lot of, I think it's it's very, very queer-friendly, which I think is really good. Um, Oh, nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I found that, like, my pitch to you is that, I found it really calming and I really liked the way that it rationally gave perspective on issues that people would ask questions about, um, come up with like solutions and empathize and I guess put the person first and what I really liked about it, I think particularly something for, um, actually all humans is it's really strong emphasis on boundaries, like creating mm-hmm. boundaries for yourself and creating boundaries for your relationships. Like there's that thing you were complaining about just earlier where there are no boundaries in any of those fictional medias and their relationship and to retain mm-hmm. that self of self sense of self. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, so the like every episode is different. The one particular one that I really liked was this one on kind of like by questioning curiosity. I think which is really interesting and prevalent because I think 50% of, uh, queer or queer questioning people are under the, um, the bi umbrella. So that's a big percentage.
1: Yeah.
0: Which yeah. is like 10% of the whole population. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. Maths.
1: Um, yeah. Numbers, <laughs> maths.
0: What's, what's 10% of uh, 8 billion? Um, anyway, so. Uh, a lot, <laughs> a lot, <laughs> And I really liked that, yeah, it was just this really wholesome podcast where they talked about self care and sexuality, which I guess are topics that they're not, I don't know if they're taboo, but they certainly are in, I guess, mainstream circles.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: And I really like the normalization of professional help, like encouraging people to go to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Um, because that's really good and healthy and the normalization of sex work as a professional industry and like the things, the reasons why that's really good as a professional industry and yeah, yeah, just like this bigger picture kind of, I guess, narrative and and discussion that they're having about their personal um, ideologies and feelings about how can we think about this in a really sex positive way and, you know, healthy way for all parties concerned and, yeah, I just—I don't know. I was just really touched by um, how rational all of that was in one space. If you know what I mean, especially as a yeah, very emotional yeah. topic.
1: Well, it's very emotional when I, as a straight man, I don't feel like I'm limited in terms of who I can talk to about things. I can right. only imagine how someone would feel, feeling like. They're the only, I mean, especially if they're from like, I don't know, like a, I'm just spitballing here, but like a rural or community town that, um, where the, where they feel like the vast majority are cis straight people and they don't really have someone that they can feel they can confide in, except for online or even if it's face to face without sort of find, finding themselves to be the, The token queer friend, you know? Mm. Um that's yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. It's good that there's a space though that this uh podcast is creating for it though. I know I saw that the great thing about the podcast while you're talking, I quickly looked them up is that um they allow um people to put uh in anonymous questions as Mm -hmm. well. Um without sort of that fear of being sort of I guess. You know, feeling like they might be shamed or they might be judged based on their question, which they do on their Curious Cat website. Um, Yeah, it's great. It's um, I just love that there's something like this out there.
0: Definitely. Yeah. No. Definitely, that anonymity is very important in queer circles. Like, uh, it's funny that scenario that you just described was totally what I grew up with. (laughs) Like, um, as like a being
1: being the. The, the queer the person. Sort
0: of the queer yeah. friend. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, yeah. isn't I was like the queer person, like in also like the in like the super in a, a regional area of Victoria where I was like the only brown person too. Um, so there's right, like yeah. double whammy of like feeling really odd about it. And I remember, yeah, like just yeah, oh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about.
1: And with it, when you say brown, do you mean Indigenous Australia?
0: Oh, no, I'm not Indigenous, but I am. Uh, I have roots in Malaysian, Indian, Chinese, Russian, all of it really.
1: Right, right, yeah. Okay, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and how was – were you able to to sort of confide in someone from during that age, like be it a family member friend or was it just kind uh, of you just – Kept that stuff to yourself because you don't feel like anyone could understand.
0: I remember in year eleven, I was in the library with um, a bunch of girls that I don't. I don't really remember them anymore, but like just a bunch of like white girls, and I remember saying like I think I am bisexual," and they were like, "Oh, that's nice," and then we never talked about it again. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um. So I yeah, I think I definitely shelved that until I guess. Um, much I, I guess many years later. And I think I only really came out in my mid twenties. Yeah. Um, when I finally realized it. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I I guess there's the I guess I'm assuming here the and from what I've read is that the I guess the sort of the issue for someone coming out as bisexual is it doesn't seem as sort of it's for so, for people who don't understand, there's sort of that grey area where they sort of they don't understand where like that you need to sort of. I'm trying to approach this in a delicate way, um, where okay. it doesn't feel as
0: it's like hardcore as, is, as being is, as mm. yeah
1: yeah as being like coming out as if you're gay
0: yeah or it's, lesbian
1: it's, it's, or you know. <laughs> Do you know it's, what I mean?
0: Though I, I do know what you mean. It it feels like it's uh you're straddling a fence or something instead of jumping over mm. into a different yard for for mm. a weird backyard metaphor. Um, yeah. But but like I guess it comes with its own issues of like uh, by erasure, um, which is a huge thing yeah. of like oh you're not really it. you're just you know you just experimenting. You're just keeping your
1: options open. Yes, yeah, yeah, thanks, Dad. Or, or <laughs>
0: Uh, I, um, I, I definitely had this funny moment where I tried to come out to my mum, and she was like, "But what about your partner? Like, you know, what about your partner?" And I think she got confused and thought that I meant that I meant that I was polyamorous. I think she got very confused by oh, it oh, all. Right, right, um,
1: yeah. Got to love boomers, hey?
0: <laughs> boomers are great. I think yeah. she's probably pre-boomer. Um, oh, okay. So yeah. You know. So. Oh, I think-
1: oh no, you mean pre.
0: Um, I don't know. She's born so in the So she's 60s. old is what you're saying. She's old, yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. So I think definitely, yeah, spaces like this um, where you can do, yeah, anonymous questions and because I think finding your community is a huge part of it. Until you find yeah. your community as a queer person, like you're, you just basically feel like you're, I don't know, in one of those RPGs, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like – in a desert somewhere until you find your gang, if you know what I mean, and you don't really. Mm. How do you, like, discuss and explore and understand intellectually and all the other ways of where you are? Which is, I think, yeah, again, why I think this podcast could help find, like, bridge those gaps. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, tell me about your thing.
1: So my Something Listenable is uh, an album by a sort of a band that – Sort of coming up from the early 2000s, which uh, a lot of people, especially Aussies, probably never heard of, called Autolux. And Autolux's album we're going to talk about is Future Perfect. was sort of the one of the very sort of first bands that sort of took indie rock in uh, in sort of America and sort of just rang, uh ran with it and sort of started to explore what indie rock could be around things like you'll find like um, I guess, a lot of just really loud psychedelic rock in their influences and their sound. You'll find what's called shoegaze um, a lot. Uh, not sure if you know what shoegaze is, Paul. I do not. Um, but shoegaze is basically it's really just heavy guitars where uh, with sort of like quiet, sombre sort of vocals. Um, so... Uh, and they also st- uh, introduced a bit of uh, sort of noise pop into their style and influences as well. So I would recommend this band for sort of anyone who's into sort of Sonic Youth um, or even Ivy who likes the idea of different styles around indie rock that um, play with different sort of elements where also where the uh the singer the singing duties is sort of um uh shared amongst the entire band as well. So they're a great fun sort of trio to really get into.
0: Interesting. Is it is it screamy or is it more like no, not
1: at all. Like no, blink one eight two no.
0: kind of indie rock or
1: no blink one eight two is more, <laughs> more punk, punk rock. rock uh, right. Yeah, yeah, indie rock. It's more, I guess, alternative rock.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And is shoegaze a reference to them looking at their shoes?
1: Yep. You've pretty much hit the nail on the head. Yeah. 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 So shoegaze, um, way back when the the sort of the music style first started, the sort of the earlier bands that did it, they um, played sort of like really just underground shows. And because a lot of the time it's more instrumental than lyrical. They would spend a lot of the time because uh, they use a lot of effects. So they call it shoe guys because they're literally staring at their
0: shoes. So yeah. It's cool. Interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah. So let's do the verdicts then. Okay. So Paulina, were any of my picks your kind of weird?
0: I think Tress. Was it Tress? Tress. Tressay. I think I'd have a go at Tressay. I'm a bit, a bit worried about the gore, but you said it wasn't too bad, but I, I really liked the concept and I definitely liked... Um, I'm really curious about seeing more Filipino representation in media and that's really cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, So one out of three is good. Sorry, can Um. you remind
0: me what the first one was again? (laughs) (laughs) The first one was Tress. The second one was,
1: yes. I I, Uh, say Shadow Man.
0: Yeah, okay. I feel weird about the voodoo thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, So probably, yeah, probably one out of three for me.
1: Okay, no worries. And out of your picks, I'd have to say... um, I'd have to say all of them, to be honest. So I think you've done uh, three out of three for me. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we're going to go on a quick sponsor break, and when we come back, we're going to learn a bit more about Paulina and her indie game company. Hey guys, it's Anthony again and this podcast is sponsored today by Discord, the Soda and Telepass Discord. Now if you're like me, you've struggled to find your people, but don't worry, we've got a Discord for you. We've got all sorts of comic book fans, TV fans, movie fans that have found a little bit of a collective in the Soda and Telepass Discord. Check the show notes today to go check out the Soda and Telepass Discord and we thanks again to Discord for providing a free service but for now let's get on with the show all right paulina so you uh i guess you founded and run dragon bear studios yeah so tell us a bit more about that and i guess how someone gets into gaming development as a whole
0: um so firstly i would say that we'd probably describe it more as games than gaming because gaming is more of a gambling um Oh, connotation. connotation. Yeah, okay. Um, it's actually like a really bizarre story because I'm not, I didn't start off as a game developer. Um, okay. I, I I guess for most of my professional life I worked in corporate and government and in business um, and I found myself burning out creatively. Um mm. And I taught myself, I guess, sculpture and <laughs> modelling and 3D. In, and I started to realise that actually I think I need to leave this um, corporate life industry and do something creative. Yeah. So um, uh, me and Ben um, Boyd, who's the other co-founder of Dragomare Studios, we decided to yeah. make a game. So we made this, we worked together um, during like my, my, my break um, when I had taken a break off um, work And we've started building this prototype um, in Unity. And, like, so Ben is a a programmer. So Ben had some idea what they were doing. But as you can imagine, going from software development to game development is a very different thing and niche. Mm. But we just had a really, like, really great three months just learning things, just being on YouTube, learning, watching all the tutorials and kind of self-taught ourselves game development and design in a way. Um, Okay. Obviously, that's compounded with us being gamers for like, you know, playing games for most of our lives and loving games and media and and literature and and art. Um, so it wasn't, I guess it wasn't entirely out of the scope, but it was just, it, it is a bit of a switch to go from playing it to making it. Um, so we presented some prototypes um, to Film Victoria and and we audience tested it with our friends and they actually really loved it, <laughs>
1: um, right.
0: which yep. is nice. particularly funny because, like, the friends that we tested on were, like, hardcore gamers, like, very masculine gamers and they loved this, like, little in-keeping prototype that we made and they found it really zen. So we were like, this is really exciting. And I forgot to mention, but... Um, the idea, the kind of core idea of this came from a D&D campaign that I ran <laughs> from my D&D friends, um, which let me tell you about actually it. actually a lot
1: of guests have, uh, have, said, that. have oh. said that. A lot of stuff comes from D&D <laughs> campaigns. So that's, okay, cool. I mean, it's the sort of, I mean, you're making up stories on the fly, aren't you? I mean, as yeah. much as you. Uh, sort of controlling that as a dungeon master, you're you're still the people involved in it. You can't really control what they're going to say or do or what what have you. And it's yeah. a great, it's a great sort of I guess way to sort of explore things.
0: Yeah, actually, now that you yeah, I guess telling stories to other humans is a very fundamentally human thing to do. Um, it's probably all we do in a way. Um, mm. And yeah, so um, actually, it wasn't technically D D. It was um, Dungeon World. So Slight, oh, okay. Slight yeah. twist. Slight um, yeah. twist. Yeah. So let me tell you the pitch. It's about um, a group of adventurers who aren't very good adventurers. They're pretty rookie. They're still learning the ropes. And they come across this, um, this inn and this, there's this wizard. And the wizard essentially, they strike a deal with the wizard that they will run the inn. And so, yeah, it's an innkeeping game. Ah, um,
1: oh, okay. But from the nice. lens of
0: an adventurer, if that makes sense. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Um, Yeah. So kind of what happened, so that was like the core of the idea and we we just really enjoyed working on this. So we got funding from Film Victoria and Creative Victoria to make um, a cool soundtrack and to make a prototype and I feel like a few months later we um, got invited by Chad um, Toprak to exhibit at Unite Melbourne and we were just playtesting it and it was just like this weird I guess, gateway into the industry. <laughs> um, and next thing you know, we went to GDC. We um, exhibited at Game Devs of Colour in New York in PAX 19. Like I, it went pretty fast, honestly. Um, I feel like I've failed to do the pitch. Let me do the pitch properly. So four-player co-op game where you run a magical inn and you're trying to win it back from the evil wizard that's trying to take over your, your uncle's inn. Um, and there's a mix of brewing potions, um, making food and steak, and there's all these, like, fantasy-inspired um, like fantasy uh, customers, which actually the world is actually Indigenous-inspired. We ended up working with a whole bunch of really cool Indigenous artists and creatives and oh, writers nice. and nice. musicians and... That, that has really shaped where it went after the core prototype and in really, really excellent ways actually, um, integrating art and all the things. <laughs> mm, yeah. Mm, so mm. it's I think we're in our just over the third year of development
1: is that sort of for someone who doesn't really know how game development works, is that sort of how long it can take on average or it, what's the... They say
0: your first game takes between three to five years. Wow. Um, which is gobsmackingly a long time. And mm-hmm. if you imagine like our team is our team is like at least, you know, it's it's gone from like two people to like, I don't know, nine people right now and that's a lot of people yep. working on a game to get it finished it's such a huge endeavor and i did not realize um how mu- how, mi- how much work and how many like human hours were required to-, to do this thing
1: yeah 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 i mean it makes you you know look at the, the sort of larger sort of game studios and things like that that are responsible for things like um that you know huge games it makes you wonder how many how many man hours they're putting in I mean, why sort of? I mean, the the game, at least from the screenshots I've seen, it's uh, cute as fuck, and you can <laughs> you can you. you can use that cute as fuck Anthony Pollack might kind of weird um, <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> but uh, in it is it's cute. It kind of reminds me of sort of like a, uh, that sort of not really top down, but sort of that uh, that almost that sort of Pokemon-ish style in terms Ooh. of how it's laid out on the screen. Um, why, did you, why did you decide to go in this direction for this type of game versus, you know, saying doing a platform uh, game, like a platform, platform jumping game or a shooting game or what have you? Like or, what was it a, about this sort of style that sort of made you go in this direction?
0: Um, I guess there are a few things. We were quite inspired by Overcooked. Um, okay, yep. And we wanted an, an optional nonviolent game, so that's why we didn't yep. go shooty or anything. And yep. essentially a lot of it came from playtesting a bunch of co-op games and wanting to make something different that would fulfill our needs um, and be different and interesting. So we just feel like this kind of isometric uh, perspective gives you a good run of what everyone's doing and what we wanted to okay. do is create this game that encouraged communication and teamwork and to do that you need to be able to see what your friends are doing in the same screen okay yep yeah so it's multiplayer <laughs> it's it's yeah it's actually online multiplayer as well um, and local um yep. Yeah, we actually just dropped a new trailer a few days ago. Um, we, we also just uh, announced a um, we just announced a really exciting thing, which is that we have partnered with Asmini Digital um, as our publisher to pr- produce the game and during its final. Oh, nice! Yeah, nice. Does, um,
1: does that mean what they're going to release it on uh, platforms or yes, what does it, that mean for you?
0: It means that um, we will be releasing on all consoles, um, and yeah, that and that's part of why we have online multiplayer as well on Steam and everywhere else because we've had that support from Asmonee.
1: So um when I originally got in contact with you I think it was about going <laughs> to say 3 months ago. Feels like more. a
0: long time, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um cuz part of this um obviously I have a huge sort of comic book sort of side to what I do with hanging a comic book uh i guess news site and comic book pr site it's it was also about sort of getting people from different areas of pop culture in so um when we originally spoke um you were saying it's going to be released on steam soon is it mm-hmm. on steam yet or or are you just sort of um hold, pulling the back the reins and because this new publisher is involved
0: um, yeah, so we have a steam page, um, that you can go and wishlist and have a look at, um, but it has not been released yet. No, I think we, it has, as you say, it has complicated the process and also just COVID has created some delays, um, mm. as you can imagine. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. so I don't have a date to announce to you yet. Sorry, but no, no, no uh, that's okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: I'm just, I'm just curious about how, how the actual, how, how that works. Um, I've noticed um, with COVID that people seem to be more gravitating towards games that are co-op based, that are have that sort of in the makeup of the game, the the sort of the, the social aspect. Is that mm. what you're sort of hoping that you're going to get out of this when you finally do launch?
0: Most definitely, I, I think a lot of I think COVID has definitely influenced the way that we've developed. Um, we before COVID, we all we knew that we wanted to build a game that you know we felt like people didn't have enough game to play with their partners, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. I know um, what that's like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was like searching games to play with my partners and I just didn't come up with much. And so we wanted to do something that would fill that niche. And also um, we wanted to give um, parents an opportunity um, to play with their kids as well in a way that we probably mm. never experienced <laughs> Anthony, but <laughs> we think the next yeah. generation probably would really love that. Um so yeah, we definitely, and they're and obviously friends and their flatmates and housemates, we want people to be able to play together and have a really interesting experience, a really fun experience and potentially come out with, you know, you know, maybe better communication strategies or maybe they'll learn something about each other or even if they just have a good time, that would be, that would be a, a, ideal for me.
1: So from here, um... Where did you sort of go in turn? In, you mentioned Indigenous, um, I guess I'm assuming musicians and talent that provided mm-hmm. the soundtrack. So how did that process work?
0: Um, so we did look for an Indigenous composer um, but we didn't able we weren't able to find one. So what we did okay. was we chose what we think is the next best thing, which was a composer named Mina Shamali who does the, like, games radio show on ABC Classic because um, – I guess one of the reasons I chose him was because I felt like he would be able to really communicate and navigate that cross-cultural space of what we're trying to create, which is, you know, this Indigenous-inspired fantasy world mixed with some elements of globalisation because there's really cool portals and magic in this world, if you imagine. So right. um, he's working with three Indigenous musicians um, which play the double bass, the yidiki, which is the didgeridoo, and the um, violin, so he's yeah. So he had, we had those session musicians that work with our composer to create the soundtrack.
1: That's incredible.
0: <laughs> it's pretty and cool, and we're really grateful to Creative Victoria who funded that. Actually,
1: do you have a music background, or
0: I do actually? Um, Yeah, I guess in a way, I've influenced the audio direction. Um, I'm a, a while ago, I was a classical singer um oh wow <laughs> yeah it feels like a really long time ago now uh, but yeah I was classically trained for a very very short period of time and
1: hang on what you were classically <laughs> trained for a very, short period, <laughs> a very
0: short period of time but I also just loved like Broadway and you know jazz and I don't know all those kinds of musicals and oh my god I love Hamilton and mm. I also play a little bit of violin and piano so yeah I have a little bit of a music background
1: How did that inform what you? Because I'm assuming the process was you. You know, you found this uh, this person that was working on the soundtrack for the game. I guess you gave them sort of an idea of what direction you're taking the game in. How did it work uh, in terms of saying yes or no to certain? you know uh, i guess tracks and uh, i guess uh, movements that they sent back um how did that work were were you a good sort of artistic director to work <laughs> with or were you a diva
0: um i hope that i'm not a diva um <laughs> Venus said that he has enjoyed working with me, but I don't know if he just has to say that. Um,
1: (laughs) No, it's been a really
0: interesting process. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess we pulled together some influences that we really liked, like as a team. Like, for example, one of the the, the best soundtracks of games that I've ever heard is like Zelda's Breath of the Wild. Like, gosh, gosh, wow. Um, And then we... Like, but also there's an element of like, yeah, matching the gameplay, matching what he sees on screen visually. And also um, a third strong component is the indigenous artists and what they bring and how they want to interpret things. So there's like a bunch of factors, if that makes sense. Um, So generally, yeah, he he works on that and Mina will compose something, um, pop it to me in discord. And I will say, yeah, I guess yay or nay but generally it's yay. I think this far into the process, especially, we've already mm. created quite a um a benchmark and a solid um section that he knows which direction it's going. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey.
1: How good is Discord? Oh it's
0: Discord. <laughs> our, our entire studio works of Discord.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh you've got to love that. Do you um so today you're you're sort of phoning in from an office. Um don't know why I said phoning in. Um but uh <laughs> Melbourne is where you guys are sort of based from. Um, you just sort of coming out of that sort of snap lockdown. How does it sort of uh, work for you guys? Um, has it really affected you? Because I assume like most of you could, you know, you're communicating on Discord. You, you know, you could, you know, Zoom if you wanted to. Like uh, I'm assuming there hasn't been a huge delay. Um, no, or
0: I'd say it's complicated. Um we do we're very very lucky we've been sponsored by Acme. Um and so uh we work in their space. They like we have okay. a residency program with them. Yeah. Um and they've been really amazing. It's more other things like morale, mental health. Um there are just some things which are faster to do in a room together. Probably yeah. probably most things are faster to do in a room together. So yeah we want to make sure that we try and give everyone enough time, extra time, especially to recover from, cause you know, lockdown is mentally exhausting emotionally exhausting. So, and no one can like create while they're feeling sad or upset. So definitely that's been a part of it of like, how do I give my team what they need to recover from this, mm-hmm. you know, reoccurring yeah. nightmare that keeps <laughs> happening. Um, and try to yeah mitigate the productivity losses. Mm. It's been difficult. Um, mm. Like yeah. on
1: reflection, is uh, have you identified and as uh, I guess a sort of a you know by proxy as a business leader, have you sort of identified ways you would go about you know motivating your team uh, that you've learnt how to do now versus before.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, one of our producers came up with a really good idea, which was to try and create social hangouts where we play games together um, as a group. Mm. And yeah. actually that's been really amazing. It's been a highlight of, of the week when we do it because mm. um, I guess that's what would happen normally. In a physical space, you would get that time to unwind and hear about your day and just have a bit of social, whereas in lockdown you don't get that. And if you, if you want that, you have to really try hard for it. So by trying to, um, and also just like, obviously we all, we all love games. So Mm. playing games together is a really wholesome activity to let us feel connected despite Mm. the circumstances. Um, and I guess, yeah, more regular check-ins it's, it's, it's really not easy though, when there's just so much to do. Um, I I do Mm. wish that players would understand how, how difficult it is to make a game like we we released this new trailer and someone left this comment. Um, you know, there's always just some some mean comment by someone.
1: They were being a dick, weren't they?
0: <laughs> Your words, not mine. Um, and I was just like, are they okay? Like, is this personal? Right? That they feel the need to lash out at this poor, this little indie studio who's just trying to make a nice thing. Like, I just I wish.
1: What my- did they say?
0: <sighs> All right. They said something like, oh, my God, what a typical sexist thing for you to have a, um, you know, a smart female protagonist and uh, an evil wizard male, something like that. And I'm just like, isn't that literally every single game? Like ha- every single game pretty much has a male bad guy. Like. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: Incels, man. That's all <laughs> I have to say. Incels. <laughs> That's that's a, that's a definite in you go you go right, right there okay. in well, I, I wish they wouldn't be so
0: in-cellular. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, there we go. That's clever. Cool <laughs> I haven't done a pun this whole podcast. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to jump to conclusions. I hope they're okay, though, because I feel like I don't know what type of mental headspace you must be in to say something like that about a cute, wholesome game, right? <laughs> mm, mm, mm. There aren't many games that have a, a, a nice, diverse cast of protagonists. Um, and, like, I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Anthony.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I just, was this on Twitter?
0: It was actually on YouTube.
1: Oh, uh, all right. <laughs> yeah, my my whole thing with that is, you know, if, if they're not following you and, you know, if they're seeing that video for free, then... You know, what are you really complaining about here? Yeah, come on, you know. Um, wait, wait until they're a paying customer and then then maybe they have more right to sort of complain, but I feel like right now they don't really have much of a cause.
0: I think that's that's something they even said. They were like, I'm just going to keep my money. And I'm like, well, you're not really our target audience anyway. So, yeah, like, yeah. If, if you we're going to judge a game, just, just the announcement trailer, right? You're just going to judge the whole game on that one thing and not see all the other really awesome qualities about it. Um.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they could have just turned around and uh, said, you know, yeah, you know, the trailer could have been longer, poor Lena. The trailer could have been longer, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am. Um, I, I, it's just a thing, I guess, being a creator. People are going to love or hate it. And that's, I'm totally fine with that. That's the reality of the world. Um, but yep. I just hope that, like, you know, it's a tough time. And I just hope people will be nicer about it. I've just, I've seen there's a lot of, like, discourse about the wholesome games and things like that. And it's just like, let's just let people play whatever they want to play. Who, like, who cares? It doesn't hurt you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, in my sort of, I guess, view in my history and just the history of what I've noticed is for every person that gets upset about something, there's 10 people that like it. Mm. So, you know, as long as you've got more people liking your thing than those who don't like your thing, I feel like you're onto a winner.
0: Thank you. That's very kind.
1: (laughs) All right, Paulina, where can people find you on your socials?
0: So on Twitter, I am Paulina Punlina. Mm -hmm. Um, uh and in terms of the game you can go to enchanted.com in with two n's yeah um our, our game twitter is like uh enchanted underscore games yeah or, and our dragon bear twitter is dragon bear games <laughs> is that too much information
1: <laughs> no 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 that's plenty and that'll all be in the show notes as well so if you guys want to check out uh Mina's uh, Dragon Bear. I keep going to say Dragon Claw and I don't know why. <laughs> if uh, people people want to check out Dragon Bear Studios, just check the show notes and it will all be there as well. Uh, so for today, my name's Anthony. I'm from my kind of weird podcast. If you guys have enjoyed today's podcast, go subscribe, check us out, give us a review, all the things. You guys know how to do all the things because you're doing all the things. So Paulina, thanks very much for your time.
0: No, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It was lovely to chat.
1: And with one final note, guys, stay weird.
0: (laughs) Nordstrom has a special holiday treat for you. For a limited time on
1: Nordstrom.com, get free two-day shipping in selected areas on thousands of items. Just enter your zip code on their site to see all the great items you can shop. Exclusions apply.